Hey, Sean here. Uh, just before we get into today's episode, I just want to give you a heads up. Our guest is P.D. Webb, who is one of the smartest draft people you will possibly find. It was a fantastic conversation. It was originally scheduled to go just 30 minutes. We ended up going an hour, so this is going to be a two-part podcast. I just wanted to note, though, P.D. was traveling, doing a scouting trip. He was in a hotel room with kind of shoddy Wi-Fi, and his microphone was kind of acting up on him a little bit. It's still very listenable. There's just a couple stretches here where the mic is a little bit dynamic and kind of drops down and very low and sort of uh, it's difficult to pick up. But for the most part, sounds good, and the content inside it is fantastic because P.D. Webb is a freaking genius when it comes to player development and draft prospects and the whole shebang. So hope you enjoy it. This is part one of two. We dive into the Jalen's Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, taking a bit of a deeper dive than we have already here on the podcast. Then tomorrow we talk a lot about Evan Mobley. There's some very tantalizing stuff about Evan Mobley coming up tomorrow, and also a couple other guys. Sharif Cooper comes up on tomorrow's podcast in a very surprising way. So get ready for that on tomorrow's episode. But today it's all about the Jalen's with PD Webb. Enjoy. Oh, like because when I shot, I expected to make it, so like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 989 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday. Uh, oh God, what month is it? July the 22nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. You can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure to check out the entirety of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Right now, we got the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 going strong. It's its own podcast feed that you can subscribe to. It's a five-day event all this week with every local host from the Lockdown NBA channel, as well as some awesome experts from around the Odyssey Sports family. We've got Chad Ford on it. We got Raphael Barlow and the all the Lockdown NBA draft folks, and we also got Ryan McDonough, uh, former GM of the Phoenix Suns, among other experts and analysts contributed from all sorts of different locales and uh it's really really great it's well produced it's awesome go listen to the ultimate mock draft 2021 i'm on part one but the rest of the parts are also very very good uh all right on today's show uh, of course we're a week away from the draft we're going to continue on talking draft stuff and i really wanted to dig further into the top three guys we don't think I don't think we could talk about these guys enough. One of these three you would figure is going to be a Toronto Raptor this time next week. And uh, I thought it would be a good opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into some of their games uh, and the sort of you know elements of their game that are going to dictate success or failure at the NBA level. And we continue on with a series of podcasts that I have unofficially titled Sean talks to people who were smarter than him about the draft. Uh, and we have brought on one of the smartest people about the draft. There is right now from the let's watch film YouTube page and the prospect development web Patreon page. It is PD web. How's it going, man? Thank you for being here. Um, um honored to be here. I'm excited to talk about uh, the Raptors and talking about number four, which is I think the, the flashpoint of the draft where things can really get uh, go sideways. Yeah, um, obviously Raptors fans hoping things don't go sideways. We won't know for many years if things have gone sideways for the Raptors at number four, but 
it is a, an interesting spot. You know, there's plenty of rumors out there of the Raptors potentially looking at Scotty Barnes and stuff like that. I never know what to believe, what's a smokescreen, what's not. We're not going to worry about that right now. We're going to worry about the main three guys that are kind of the consensus two, three, four in the draft in whichever order you please. Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley. Um, before we get into the specifics of each guy, PD, I, I'm just kind of curious you know, everyone seems to have their own opinion on these guys. It seems like maybe Mobley and Green have kind of ascended a little bit above Suggs in the last few weeks, even a couple months of the draft process here. Um, you know, I don't think that means Jalen Suggs is a bad prospect by any means, but it does seem like Mobley and Green have separated themselves a tad. I- I'm curious for you, from your perspective, what's your personal ranking of those three guys? What's the best case scenario in, in your mind for the Raptors uh, of having one of those guys follow them at number four? That's, a, that's an interesting case because I think that the four teams kind of have, uh, like have about as different of uh, team building situations as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I think that you can kind of make a case for any of the orders. I, I think to me, Kate is, is, is number one, but outside of that, if you said, you know, if, if the Raptors got two, I think that they would still have the same order, whether they had three or four. Um, and I think that, um, I think that each one of these players fits um, with with a different vision of what the Raptors look like next year, and it's mm-hmm. a matter of, of figuring out, you know, is Kyle Lowry a part of this team? Um, how much usage, how much usage do you want to get Pascal? How much usage do you want to get OG? And that from those questions are are sort of like where the best fit is. It's more of, of kind of following the choose your adventure about where you believe this roster is, and I think mm-hmm. that will lead you to a better prospect in terms of. Like, in, not in terms of fit, but in terms of the direction of the franchise and, and how this team is going to look the next time it makes the playoffs. Yeah, that's well put. It is it is a kind of fun little choose-your-own-adventure. I like the way you put that because each of those guys absolutely fits in a different way, certainly, and I think there's definitely different ways in which they fit the timeline. Like I would argue that Suggs probably fits the timeline they have right now a little bit better just because he's probably more ready to kind of step in and contribute from day one. And they've got Van Vliet, Siakam, OG on those second contracts that the, the clock is ticking on their free agency. And if you want someone to plug and play, maybe he's the guy, maybe he's not quite the high upside, like might lead the league in scoring one day type of prospect that Jalen green seems to be in some minds. And obviously Evan Mobley would certainly fit the Raptors as well, positionally and just kind of by the defensive ethos the team goes by, it seems like he'd slot in pretty nicely there alongside Siakam and OG in a front court that I don't think would ever get scored on ever. Um, But, you know, I don't think there is a wrong answer here. And this is kind of what I've been trying to impress upon Raptors fans for a long time here. And this is all, again, sort of couched with the fact that I don't know really what I'm talking about, but just based on what I've gleaned from smart people like yourself and others, you know, you can't go wrong here. Obviously, you know, it's a personal taste thing, and you know, you might prefer one direction over another, but the Raptors are going to get a pretty good player here, and it's going to be a player that it shouldn't be too complex in terms of trying to figure out where they go next and sort of how they reshape the team around said player who becomes, I think, instantly probably the most sort of highly prized asset on the team. I, I guess. The question that I've kind of been thinking about this week, and I've had this sort of theory that I've been working on, and this very much could just be a, I cover the Raptors, and so this is the lens I view things through situation, but I've thrown this to a couple people, and I'll throw it to you. 
you know, you can talk about these three guys all you want. I'm a big believer um, that situation is extremely important when it comes to the draft and, you know, where a guy lands and the situation of the player development that's on hand is going to play a big role in how good that dude eventually becomes. You know, you get some cases where it doesn't matter. They're transcendent talents. They'd be good anywhere. But when it comes to this sort of range, the, you know, the green Mobley Suggs, you know, trio, is there a case to be made that whoever ends up on the Raptors simply will probably end up being the best player? Like, is that too simplistic a view of the player development staffs? Is that too dismissive of the Cavs and the Rockets as franchises? Or is maybe that's something that I'm kind of onto by accident, just having a good theory that maybe makes some sense? I think that a player is more likely to be successful in a successful organization. Um, mm-hmm. That's certainly just like a thing that's true. I mean, that's what like is a job and it's like you're you're more likely to be happy and productive in a job that is going well than one that you know is on fire it's just sort of the way this works and and the Raptors do have more of have a more recent history of success than um than other franchises obviously you know Houston was different recent uh you know fairly recently but they've had so much turnover that um there is a track record from this organization of of producing positive results in the way that we have it so in that way, like historically, you're sort of, you know, you're correct in a tautological sense. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that you're, you sort of hit on, on something that I kind of uh, struggle with is that like the Raptors development staff was, um, uh, I would say one of the best development staffs ever assembled. Sure. But there's been brain drain since then. Yeah. And there is a, a question about like the ship of Theseus is like, okay, so when is the Raptors development staff no longer the development staff? Sure. How many people have to leave? How many staffers have to be hired away? How many people who you know, were instrumental in, in building that absolutely wonderful development environment that, that produced you know, positive result after positive result after positive result? And you know, is it still the best in, in the league? Has it flipped to second or third or you know, seventh? I mean, there's a lot of, of great staffs and this isn't taking anything away from the Raptors, but like the self-assessment of where this staff ranks, where its specific strengths are, because like as each new person comes in and, and comes out of an organization, they add you know their own little flair. Sure. You know, like Phil Handy is is I would say one of the, the best people in the world at, at uh, you know getting movement out of players. Like he, he really added fluidity to Harrison Barnes's drill mechanics, which is like a thing that mm-hmm. I didn't think was was fully possible. Just like putting cards on the table, <laughs> and then you'll have somebody else who's like a, a more of a shooting development guy, somebody who has a, a little bit better sense of of um, you know teaching players timing on cuts like these things do matter on how you scout players because partially what you're scouting is what you believe you can improve. So mm-hmm. if you believe that you can really improve shooting, then you're going to draft a different sort of prospect than somebody who believes they can develop a handle, you know, sure. at an outlier ability. Um, so it's not just the, the, uh, it's not just the, you know, the team fit. It's also the player development fit. It's also the scouting fit. And then it's the organizational fit of, of you know, building a cohesive unit around, the idea of this player and, and, you know, getting some, some synergistic uh, uh, skills and, and the lineups for them. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And again, uh, this is why we get smarter people on to talk about it. Cause I'm just like <laughs> Raptors, good development. Yes. Uh, and it's a lot more complex. <laughs> yeah. But you're also hundred percent not wrong. You know, you are mm-hmm. Raptors, good development. Yes. That we said the same thing. You, know? <laughs> you just, it, where I rambled, you did it in such brevity. And you know, I, I, I appreciate that as a, 
Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I'll take that as a feather in my cap. Uh, def- yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> I'll take your thoughtful response over mine any day. We've got more of the conversation about the Jalen's with PD Web coming up in just one second. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at RockAuto.com who are lovely, lovely folks. They're a family business. They've been doing it for twenty years. And for 20 years, they've been saving you money on car parts, money that the mechanic does not want to save you. For example, if you were to go to the mechanic, say you drive a Honda Odyssey. I don't know who drives a Honda Odyssey, but if you did, maybe you uh, need a fuel pump, for example. You would be paying probably about 350 bucks from a chain store for a Honda Odyssey fuel pump. But at rockauto.com, you can get one for $216. That's enormous savings, and it really is worth going to rockauto.com to find those parts and then bringing them to the mechanic and saying, hey, put this in my car, please. Or you can do it yourself, too, if you are that handy. I certainly am not, but maybe you are. Either way, Rock Auto prices are reliably low for every customer. They've got everything you need from brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, new carpets, and everything in between. And, of course, go. you can go to their website. It's super easy to find all the parts you need and get the solutions you need when your car is in some trouble. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you as well. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the car parts you will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, let's get back to it a little bit more on Jalen Suggs. And then Jalen Green becomes a topic of conversation a little bit later on here on the podcast. Enjoy. Um, you know, let's kind of dive into these guys specifically. And we'll start with Jalen Suggs because he feels like the most likely to end up at number four. Um, you know, I think maybe by virtue of that, he's someone I've talked myself into quite a bit. And I don't think it takes a lot of talking yourself into Jalen Suggs. There's a lot there to like. He's a big guard. He is explosive. He's a really good passer. He sees the four quite well. Um, in transition, he's just like a freaking marvel to watch. And with the amount of wonderful transition basketball, the Raptors have played before the Tampa hell season. Uh, you know, that seems to fit into, you know, kind of the things I like to watch the basketball team. I like do. Um, and, you know, he's got the, the defensive instincts as well. You know, he seems very Raptorsy in terms of like motor and leadership and all that stuff as well. Um, so let's start with the good stuff and then we can pivot into some stuff that maybe is cause for concern or that maybe knocks him down the ladder a little bit. Um, but in terms of the stuff that really sort of makes him sing, you know, if a Raptors fan is sitting there and the Raptors have taken him number four, what's the number one thing you'll say to that fan to sort of convince them that, yeah, this is a really good pick. This is, you know, this thing is something that he's going to bring to the table that is going to be really exciting. Okay. The first thing I would say to a Raptors fan who is trying to talk themselves into any pick is that you're not drafting as a bad team. You're drafting yeah. as a good team that had a bad Sure. Year. And what yeah. that means, often when I, I talk to you know teams that are like fully rebuilding, it's it's uh, you know talking about building positive developmental environments and you know, mm-hmm. building you know environments that make players make sense. And like that can be really difficult for certain archetypes. Um, when you're on a good team, it's not that question at all. The question is, can you cover up their specific weaknesses and get extra value from them? You know, how many sure. times have we seen players who? Uh, um, you know, struggle to shoot, but they're put in an environment where everybody else has great gravity. They're allowed to cut. They're allowed to, you know, they're they're encouraged to make more passes. And suddenly, players like Kyle Anderson that maybe may not be a great fit on a on a bad team, but you put mm-hmm. them on a team where their context makes you know more sense, and and you can offset their uh, their you know their specific uh, idiosyncrasies. And suddenly, you have an awesome player. It's just not a player that's particularly useful on a bad team. Sure. So I think using that framework of saying like, okay, so. At what concerns can we take away from all of these prospects? Um, 
the, the first thing I'd say about Jalen Suggs is like Jalen Suggs wins basketball games. And mm-hmm. like he is somebody who's, who's very much wired to win, um, which is uh, something you really want if you're expecting a player to help a good team um, mm-hmm. rather than coming around on a slower development curve. Um, oftentimes, like what potential means is that they're really bright flashes. And sometimes you have to wait between flashes. Um, there's mm-hmm. you know, a lot of guys in the middle of water who sort of fit that description. Um, with Suggs, you get really steady, consistent play with with very little, I would say, low moments. I, most of those low moments come from uh, when he's like expected to handle the ball a lot. Uh, his handle can be crawled into, and he has some some issues uh, stringing together counters. Um, he's not sure. super flexible um, and, and doesn't necessarily have like a lot of competitiveness in his handle. Um, so. If you are a Raptors fan, the question that you need to ask is: like, Can we create an environment where Suggs can attack, you know, secondary actions, can can you know, play with an emotion offense, and not have to create, you know, in a one-four flat high pick and roll situation? Um, mm-hmm. Do we have the creators to start? Not, not that he can't like be a, a primary ball handler, but you just don't want him to be responsible for breaking down a defense and letting you know uh, defenders, you know, crawl into uh, crawl into his counters and crawl into you know, his, uh, his body as much. And if the answer is yes, is that you believe that like Pascal is the person who Pascal and, and if Kyle resigns, like you absolutely do have those circumstances and you get all of the upsides of, of him with none of the downsides. Sure. Along with, uh, as you mentioned, like good defense, the ability to, you know, be strong enough to handle some wings. Like there's, there is in, in the world where, you know, you are a fan who believes that the lottery is coming back in, but that Pascal's uh, like slump this year was, was much more a, a circumstance thing and, and just like a year of weirdness that we can all agree maybe didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Then like it sucks is, is a, you know, a perfectly cut puzzle piece to, to click into this team to get them back in the house. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I guess then the question is, you know, if you can help sort of fill in those gaps and sort of, you know, have him not have to be the number one ball handler in year one, for example, is there the capacity there for him to potentially blossom into that, to be the lead guard, the lead ball handler in an offense and actually have that capacity to break defenses down. You know, I'm always fascinated by this and, you know, I, this is well beyond things I understand, but, you know, in terms of skills that are, you know, multiple things that can be rectified, things that can be fixed versus things that can't, I'm curious with Suggs, you know, you mentioned maybe the the sort of lack of a, of a really, you know, deft handle, um, you know, maybe sort of a straight line drive type guy as opposed to having those counters built in. Do you view those things as things that can be taught and, you know, sort of nurtured along? Or is there sort of like physical limitations that are just kind of always going to be there? You know, you mentioned maybe lack of flexibility and things like that. Maybe he's too rigid to ever, you know, kind of develop that sort of smooth driving game where there are counters, there are sort of uh, different things he can do. You know, what do you view him? You know, how do you view him as a guy who could potentially develop those things? Or is he kind of stuck with, you know, those flaws for good? So I don't think of, of basketball skills as things that can't be learned. Uh, I guess if you're looking for a visual metaphor, like I, I sort of think of them as, as hills and some sure. of them have steeper inclines. Some of them are, you know, a little bit easier. So like shooting is kind of the universal thing. Like people are like firmly believe everybody can kind of get up to shoot to a certain level. If you just view mm-hmm. the average player, you know, you have like six, nine, you know, lifetime backup bigs who turn into good shooters on a long enough time. If they're over, mm-hmm. you know, catch and shoot in the corner. Um, 
handles is a little bit difficult because it's so many interlocking systems. You know, it's it's the perception action coupling of knowing which knowing to do what move when. It's you know the um, the ability to to raise and lower uh, your center of gravity. It's the ability to to have high flexibility and sell moves. Um, I think there is for sure development for him. It's just a matter of how quickly that comes and to what how far up the hill he gets. Um, I tend to view it as one of the harder things because like the more things, the more systems that are happening, just like it's more complicated. Um, And, you know, I think that it's also, it's easier if it doesn't need to be developed. Like if you're in a circumstance where like, Hey, when you're handled to get better because we're throwing you in the deep end. So like your handle has to get better right now, or you're going to get eaten alive. Um, Mm -hmm. That that's a pretty fraught development environment, but be able, to, but being able to slowly work him into circumstances where he has a primary. So maybe it's you know five possessions, you know, in, in certain lineups, and you know he knows that they're coming, and you kind of have some play calls ready, and, and you know, sure. building a at a development environment that where you know they do have the creativity to solve the problem, but you also are trying to build in as many internal advantages as possible to to, to get them more comfortable and to give them, uh, you know. Uh, as much of uh, a head start as possible. Like those things are, are certainly feasible, and I think things that good staffs do well. Um, but everyone's mileage will vary on how you believe that handle specifically develops uh, for guys right. who who lack a bit of fluidity. Makes sense. Uh, and then you mentioned the shooting and how that's maybe a thing that people kind of real believe that's something that could be taught pretty easily. Obviously, that is the thing that sugs, you know, if you just kind of look at his, you know, basketball reference page, the three point percentage pops out. Uh, and that's been a thing that, you know, has been kind of a question, but also maybe not so much of a question. Is that anything to worry about? You know, I think it was 33.7% this year in college um, in a pretty, you know, easy to operate within relatively speaking offensive environment with Gonzaga, with all the weapons they had, um, you know, is there any sort of cause for concern with the shot, the mechanics, anything like that? Um, you know, my, my sort of untrained eyes seems to think, yeah, that seems pretty reasonable. It doesn't look like it's an ugly shot necessarily, but um, what's your view on the shot with Suggs and its ability to uh, be sort of, you know, coached up to a, you know, a more league average or even better level? I think that Suggs is a pretty projectable shooter. I think that a big thing that's going to be different from his college and NBA role is just how much he has to shoot off the dribble or how much sure. he needs to. He took, uh, you know, like half of his shots off the dribble roughly from three and just like that's not going to be what he's expected to do and obviously shots off the dribble much harder especially when like you he's not creating a huge amount of separation so he's shooting into smaller windows the smaller the window you know off the dribble mm-hmm. those are just naturally harder shots so i think that there's some um shot selection bias where if you take you know harder shots your numbers just naturally slide down that's why you know, Dame Lillard will probably never have a season that looks like truly spectacular. Because like Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard has to take some tough shots um, mm-hmm. within the, the structure of Portland's offense historically. So I think that there is um, there is a lot of optimism just for uh, a like a, a reallocation of of his shot profile from his college role to his NBA role will just I think result in like three or four percentage points just popping up. I don't think there's that much to be concerned about unless you're forecasting him to be a primary. And then like, yeah, there's, there's probably a small amount of, you know, cause then it's probably going to slide a little more as those contests right. get tighter and then those spaces go down faster. 
All right, Jalen Green is the focus of the back part of this podcast with PD Webb. We'll get to that in one second, but first I got to tell you about our friends over at betonline.ag, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports action from MLB, NBA, NHL, UFC, MMA. Yes, the NHL and NBA seasons are over, but you can bet on next season already. Go and do it. Get some futures bets down now and have some fun before the next pitch, tip off, whatever it might be to commence the sporting event of your choice. Go to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, meaning if you put in 100 bucks at the top of your account, you're going to get 150 bucks to play with courtesy of Bet Online. That is a wonderful deal. You just got to use the promo code LOCKED ON, all one word, at betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's finish off the conversation with P.D. Webb. It's a good one. We talk all about Jalen Green and why he's so freaking exciting to close out the show. Enjoy. Makes sense. Uh, we can pivot attention from Suggs to uh, let's go Jalen Green next. Uh, you know, doesn't seem like he's going to be there at four. Uh, I suppose there's a world in which the Rockets go for Suggs too, and then, you know, it kind of cascades from there. and The Raptors end up getting Green because Mobley is sort of the apple of the Cavs eye. Um, you know, <laughs> He certainly profiles as the type of half court, you know, scoring option the Raptors have desperately needed ever since Kawhi Leonard left. That's been their big issue. They just have a lot of trouble breaking things down in the half court. Fred Van Vliet, six feet tall, can't score at the rim. Pascal Siakam's handles wonky and, you know, he's gotten better and he's a very good playmaker now, but he's obviously, you know, I think kind of realistically a, a number two option. And then OG Ananobi, you know, that there's a lot to dream on there, but it's also a lot to expect for him to ascend from where he is now to where you'd like him to be to kind of assume that number one role. So I think assuming that or, or predicting that is kind of unfair. Jalen Green figures uh, if you get that guy, slot him in at number two. And, you know, maybe again, not near one, but, you know, as you go along, maybe he kind of ascends pretty quickly to that number one scoring option, um, you know, I'll kind of frame it the same way. You know, what is there to be excited about green? Uh, you know, obviously the scoring is there. There's other stuff too. I'm sure. Um, you know, if the Raptors end up with green at four, is it like an absolute steal? Is it an absolute coup, you know, or are there things to be concerned about there? Um, what's your read on green? And, you know, the, the, if you were to follow up the Raptors, what should be the overwhelming response from, from onlookers? I mean, uh, in- incredibly excited. I mean, it's hard to watch Jalen Green play basketball and not come away with that impression. Um, yeah. It, he is a tremendously fun basketball player to watch. Um, I think this reading uh, of, you know, sort of depends on two facts. First one being like Kyle Lowry is most likely coming back and you have a primary ball handler. And then, you know, maybe a little less off. Uh, maybe you in are inferring a little more about Pascal and OG from this season you know, sure. and, and their struggles being like, okay, that was more real than maybe our first category of guy. You know, if we're sure. just thinking about types of guys, but the first category I was like, yeah, that wasn't real at all. Don't even worry about it. Tampa, not Toronto, you know, doesn't count. Our second guy's yeah. like, well, okay. I, I kind of think there might be concerns with Pascal. You should really be excited about green because green can is, I would say probably the best bet in this class to average 25 points a game. Like I would say, yeah. I would like, I think that that's far and away that you use money on the board. Mm-hmm. The real highest value for, from him is the fact that he can couple two really interesting offensive ideas. The first one being uh, off the dribble shot making. Um, yep. Green shot uh, like thirty, uh, almost thirty-seven percent from NBA three because um, yeah. he's in the G League. 
um, taking a extremely difficult um, shot profile. Again, he's able to create space with step back, side steps, uh, loves to, to pull out of hang dribbles. He's, you know, creating off the bounce to get his own shot and do, shooting a, what I would say is a good NBA percentage doing so. And then has, sure. you know, uh, a, a solid amount of catch and shoots and, and a little bit of movement, but no, that's not as much considering how often the ball is in his, was in a sense that with the Ignite. Um, so you have this sort of like, you know, on ball shot creator um, for, his, for himself and the ability to create rotations out of that. Um, he's a developing passer. I think there's a lot of good reads in there, but it's, it's not as honed as his scoring ability. Sure. The second thing is that you can use him in the in a similar concept as how like New Orleans in the second half of the year use Zion, or as um, as uh, under Chris Finch, Anthony Edwards was used. It's just that like you just keep him in movement and make defenses worry about the fact that if he gets a little bit of a step, somebody's showing up on Sports Center. Right. And right. just giving him as many tilted catches as possible. So, you know, really going deep into your, you know, strange offensive sets bag where there's always a movement trying to get Jalen's green running into space at full speed. And then actions could flow out of that for others. Or the defense just has to rotate a little bit, you know, make sure there's no look at the rim. Okay. Well, then suddenly you have a pop for, for Pascal. Pascal getting open shots has been huge for him. Um, when when he's hit though, he's turned into a different sort of player. And so this idea would be one where you are using even if Jalen Green doesn't touch the ball in that possession to unlock that you know some of to 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 buffer against some of those worries that may have been from the Tampa season with Pascal and OG and their mm-hmm. creation ceilings. By if well, Kyle has lost a little bit of step, but yes, he can shoot off the dribble. But defenses are going to respect the amount of advantage he can create less and less as you know as as this year goes on and going forward. So by using green in, you know, uh, you know, coming off Iverson sets, coming off uh, handoffs, just everything possible to get him flowing in motion and then countering to the weak side would be a way of both optimizing green as, as a downhill offensive threat and as buffering, you know, the, the creators who just need a little bit of getting over the, the hump because we've seen what happens when defenses can't, uh, can't overload against those two. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Green's bloody exciting. It's a bummer that uh, it feels like he's not going to be there at four. And honestly, I wonder how you know different we this conversation would be if it would feel so preordained if the playoffs didn't so obviously exhibit like, oh yeah, you need to have a dude who can just hit tough shots and create on his own. Like it, it's you know if Chris Middleton just it, it hadn't done what he'd done in these postseason and you know. Devin Booker hadn't done Devin Booker things the entire time. I wonder if maybe the sentiment on green's a little bit lower and maybe, you know, people sort of question the things that aren't there versus sort of really frothing over the things that are already there. But, um, you know, I, I, I feel like Raptors it. fans I would push back on that a little bit. What's that? I would push back on that a little bit just because sure. like Jalen green has been in the national spotlight and then a draft spotlight. He's a freshman in high school. Sure. Evan Mobley sure. has been, you know, under the microscope since he was like a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cade really burst onto the scene as a sophomore. Like these these players have been in the NBA imagination for almost five years. And right. like, well, there is always going to be recency bias. You know, every the NBA is a copycat league. Whatever works. You know, people are always going to steal a, a recipe out of the book. But no one is ever abandoning their plans of scouting a player for so long and having such a, sure. a, a clear idea idea about what they are like no one's going to be like well chris middleton hit tough shots so like we should have <laughs> the idea of heliocentrism um be like because like that's what kate's built for you're not going to be like oh we would love you know 
Cade to become a Chris Middleton type. It's like, no, like Cade be a Cade. Sure. Jalen be a Jalen. But, you know, Suggs be a Suggs. Like, I think that it can be really easy for fans to look at that and be like, oh, is this going to affect it? And agents, of course, will always run with stuff like that because that's yeah. their job is to, you know, be like, wow, there's a real pro tough shot sentiment in the air right now. You're really, I mean, I feel like people are pushing for a tough shot maker at number two. Like, that's just not, <laughs> that's how these things yeah, go. Yeah. Um, but I think that teams generally have a larger picture and not the sure. same argument, you know, pro or against. I honestly just want players to go uh, wherever it allows them to get the biggest second contract. Um, yeah. Like, I, I, I frequently have a, a thing where it's like, if everybody, if you fall into a, a better spot for you, you've probably done better in your life. Uh, sure. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys who go, you know, a little bit too high, maybe go to a spot that isn't as good in the development staff and as good, in, you know, in, in getting a fit. And those players may be out of the league. And uh, you, you, I, that's always tough to see. So I always just want people to go to the best place possible. I don't really care for the order. It's just I want all these sure. guys to, to reach their upper end outcomes. Um, so I would say with Green, the like you sort of have a, a pretty – like. The thing is, is that depending on your read on this roster, you can make an argument for all three of these guys being a perfect fit. Yeah. It just all comes down to like, if you are Messiah Ujiri, how do you feel about how money should be allocated and how possession should be allocated and what mm-hmm. exactly are these players? Which is what makes this, like when I say this could go sideways, it's like there are so many different reads and that's what makes this fun. Like some teams, it's like, okay, is this the best player on your team yet? Yes, no. Okay, if it's no, then like you need to go swing again. Um, but with the Raptors, there's like four or five different large decisions to be made at once, and there's a draft. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, you know, in a lot of ways, it's it's like it's disappointing that they're four. You know, when you have like it's draft night, lottery night, and it's like, oh, they're moving up. Oh my god! And then it's like unbelievable excitement, and then the first card up is the Raptors, and you feel like a moment of disappointment, and, and like, oh, two would be pretty great to have the pick of the litter. There's also something nice about uh, just being a four and just waiting for a dude to fall to you, <laughs> and like not having to make the choice. You know, that's uh, it's not bad either. And that brings us to the end of part one of this conversation with PD Webb. Tomorrow, as teased off the top, we get into Evan Mobley with some very, very exciting stuff. At one point, I have a physical reaction to something that PD Webb describes about Evan Mobley playing defense. It's very, very exciting stuff. I'm ready to have my heart broken by Evan Mobley getting drafted one spot ahead of the Toronto Raptors on draft night, surely. Um, But... That is uh, for next week. For tomorrow is uh, the full detailed talk about Evan Mobley. We also get into an interesting question where I pose the the question to PD. If you were to reach on someone at number four, who would you take? And the answer may surprise you. It's a lot of fun. So get ready for that tomorrow. And uh, that's going to do it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks again to PD for hopping on the podcast. Thanks to anyone who, uh, you know, persevered through the audio inconsistencies there. Again, adverse situation. PD is on the road, like scouting high school basketball and stuff. He's a very, very busy man. And uh, he was kind enough to give the time. And uh, his Wi-Fi in his hotel room was kind of being a bastard. So it's not on him at all. I very much appreciate the time. And uh, hopefully the audio wasn't too, too bad. And uh, it'll be the same idea for tomorrow but still quite good. I think it actually gets better in the second half tomorrow. So there's that. All right, that'll do it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again on Friday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye.